Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Bob St. John. I'm the pastor at Anniston Bible Church. I was thinking last night as I was driving over that um, it was it's really providential that they asked me to speak on this particular subject of uh, family worship. Uh, it hadn't occurred to me all the time I was preparing, but just as I was driving over last night, but I was saved at family worship when I was uh, six years old. So my parents uh, regularly read and prayed with us, told us Bible stories, and we sang together. And, and when I was six years old, I, I trusted Christ as my Savior during family worship. And, and I bet if we were to uh, count the number of people that are saved, many people could give the same kind of testimony. Uh, family worship is something that is, uh, that is really sacred. It should be a treasured tradition in your home because uh, children are born into our families by God's providence. Uh, they have been uh, given to us. They are his children. We are stewards of his children and we need to endeavor to make them his children, make them more his children than our own, uh, to raise them for him. They're actually lent to us uh, so that we might disciple them in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so uh, this stewardship uh, includes important things like food and clothing, but not less important is their spiritual care and their spiritual discipleship. So we're going to follow the outline that is here, and I want to begin by developing some biblical foundations, but I'm only going to take just a little while for that because I, I believe their intention was that I would uh, give you practical things with regard to family worship, and so I want to do that. But I, I do want to take just a little time to look at this passage from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verses 4 through 9. <clears throat> Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now, let's think for just a moment about why Moses wrote this paragraph in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the renewal of God's covenant with Israel. So he is instructing a new generation of Israelites in their relationship with God before they go into the land. The, their parents, the first generation, they've all died in the wilderness. Their graves are in the wilderness. And now this new generation is getting ready to go into the land. And so he's renewing the covenant with them. And what he's teaching them, he's instructing them, is that their relationship with God is, is the most important thing. They are God's covenant people. What does that mean? And in this passage, he is showing them how to pass on to the next generation that same covenant love and loyalty that, uh, that he is teaching to them. This is what you need to pass on to your children. And so basically he's helping parents in under the old covenant. 
He's helping parents to understand how they can teach their children that the most important thing in life is their relationship with God. So you can think about that, that family worship is about teaching our children that their relationship with God is the most important thing in life. And, and we know that we, as we look at the passage here, I have highlighted uh, eight key verbs. They're actually a sequence of verbs. They're not the only verbs, but you can see the very first one here or listen. Oh, oh, Israel, and I've highlighted them all the way through. They kind of form the structure here as he's giving this uh, information to the parents and what they should do. And the first thing he does is he tells them about the doctrine of God. He says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so he wants them to know that though the nations around you worship many gods, they are um, pagans, they are idolaters, we, as, uh, as God's people, know there is only one God, and, and he is our God. That is, that's a covenant statement. The Lord, our God. We, his people, we have a relationship with him, and we belong to him. And so there is only one Lord, only one God, and he is unrivaled. There, he has no rivals. And since there's only one God, he alone is God, and he has no rivals, then we need to love him with an unrivaled love. We need to love him supremely, heart, mind, strength. Uh, we're to love him with all our being. We love him supremely. And this truth that there is only one Lord, one God, who is unrivaled and we love him supremely, this truth must be in your heart before you can really pass it on to your children it has to be a conviction in your own heart. And, uh, and then you begin to teach it to them. Verse 7, you teach it to them diligently. This is a word that means to sharpen. And if you've ever seen someone use a whetstone and they're pressing, pressing that blade on the stone over and over and over again. And that's the idea of teaching them diligently is to recite it over and over to repeat it again and again and again to your children. And so you're showing them their relationship with God is the most important thing in life. And so you, you teach them diligently and then you talk of them. And you notice in verse uh, seven that I underlined four clauses there. When you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise up. And these are actually pairs. When you sit, when you walk really means everywhere, whether in your home or outside your home, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, everywhere. And then when you lie down and when you rise up means at whatever time. So everywhere and all the time, be teaching your children that their relationship with God is the most important thing in life, to know that he alone is God and to love him with all of their heart. And then finally, he says uh, to bind them as a, a sign on your hand. Uh, now, the Israelites at one point began to practice this uh, outwardly, and they wore phylacteries, you know, on their forehead and on their hands and that kind of thing, um, and attached um, little containers to their doorpost with uh, the words of, of the Shema, this, this passage of Scripture. But the meaning here 
is that to bind it on your hand is that your actions, whatever you do, should say there is only one God, one Lord God, and we love him with all of our heart. Everything you do says we love God supremely. You, your actions tell that story. And your, your home, you know, so when before your eyes, so between your eyes, your perspective, the way you see things, your thoughts, uh, your worldview, your, the lens by which you look at the world, how you explain the world says there's only one sovereign God and we love him supremely. Uh, he's the most important thing in life. And then on your doorpost, when people come to your home, that uh, they say, wow, in this family, their relationship with God is the most important thing in life. And as well as your congregation, the community, uh, there should be the testimony to the same thing as well. So that's basically what this passage is teaching. And this is the classic passage for instructing and discipling our children. Now, I'm going to pass over the observations, though I've touched on those, and the principles, simply because uh, I feel like we need to go to the practical. So if you look at page two, there's a section called Practices of Family Worship. Does everyone have a, a handout? Okay. I, have, I do not have a handout. Oh. Thank you. I'm sorry. Thank you. Okay. Now everyone has one, right? Okay. So, um, regarding the practices of family worship. So we're just gonna kind of walk through this, uh, and I think this, this will be very helpful to you. Uh, first of all, family worship doesn't have to be complicated. Uh, sometimes it can seem like a big and difficult task to lead spiritually. The more that you lead your family in devotions to the Lord, the more comfortable you, comfortable you will be with that. And uh, it, it doesn't have to be complicated. Um, the things that, that family worship thrives on are routine. Routine is in distinction to disorder. It thrives on regularity, which is uh, connected to routine, but it's in distinction to inconsistency. And it thrives on sensitivity, on what is appropriate to the ages of our children, what is appropriate to their age. Um, you know, some try to miniaturize a church service and uh, the father feels like he's got to preach or something uh, to the children and, and many times, uh, you know, you can actually uh, wear out or put a distaste for family worship by uh, that kind of thing. What is appropriate? to the ages of our children, to the range of our children, the number of our children. And then sincerity. Uh, sincerity in opposition to uh, a cold, methodical, hypocritical uh, kind of uh, a way of leading devotions. And there are basically three elements. Three elements. This is the second paragraph there. Singing to the Lord, praying to him, and reading or sharing his word, whether you use the Bible 
or you telling the Bible story after you have read it and become familiar with it, or you're reading it from a Bible story book. So those three elements, singing to the Lord, praying to him, and reading or sharing his word. So this, this is very simple. Those three things, those three things you can do. Uh, and so uh, just remember, if, if we wonder what are we going to do, well, we should sing a song. We should tell a Bible story or read a psalm or read a proverb. Uh, and, and we should pray. We should talk to God. You're helping your children learn how to talk to God, learn how to meet with God and to hear his voice. And you're actually preparing them to be able to gather with the congregation of God's people and to be able to worship. They're learning what worship is as you're doing this. And then the way that this simple practice of singing, praying, and reading and sharing is maintained is by attaching it to something that is routine, like waking, mealtimes, bedtimes. Those are the easiest uh, occasions to regularly observe family devotions. And so if you can, if you will seek to have an ordered life, even in a busy life, you can have an ordered life. Our children have to be in bed by a certain time. Okay, that's, that's when we want them to be in bed. And so we're going to start earlier. We're going to start here. And, and this is what we're going to do. And I'll talk about that in, in just a moment. Remember, too, that uh, apart from the planned routine times, that there are also unplanned times as well. Uh, you are always looking for times, for occasions, to impress, to press this truth upon your children of how important their God is in their life. And so, you know, something, could they lose something? And, and you pray with them about finding it. Um, they have a heartache and you comfort them with a promise from God's word. Um, you love them and share God's love with them, that they are secure in his love no matter what friendship may be broken. So there are, are multiple ways to redeem opportunities to lead your children to the Lord. But we're thinking especially about the devotional strategy. And if you are... Uh, if you, unless you're a single parent and just plan this on your own, you uh, will plan it together uh, as a husband and wife. And husbands, you are to take the lead. You should initiate the planning of this. Uh, and as a wise husband, you want to include your wife's wisdom and strength in all of this. So you're thinking about your priorities. Talk it through. How are we going to do it? How long? And brevity, I think, is one of the rules. We want to keep it brief. As your children grow older, you may well be able to have longer devotions, longer times, great conversations, but you'll never have those unless you just start with brief times of reading, praying, singing, and bringing God into the traffic of life. I just want to watch my time here as we go. So, um, so you want to strategize and, and, and together about this. And then in your strategizing, you want to choose good resources. Now I have put a list of resources on page five. I don't know if they have any books here, but there's a list of resources on page five 
if you have little children, I certainly would suggest uh, leading little ones to God. That's the fourth book down. Is a, I think a great book for helping them to understand the gospel. It's really a children's theology book. And there's a number of other really good books here. Um, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, Big Truths for Young Hearts. Well, I, I don't think there's any one of these that wouldn't be a good book. Uh, Big Truths for Young Hearts is probably a little more something you have to absorb before you can really use it with your family well. Uh, small Talks on Big Questions. So that's a, a catechism. Um, but choose good resources and then a plan for how you're going to, to execute this. And then as much as possible, you stay in that routine. Now, families are busy, and so what I want to do now is just share with you some of the ways that we did devotions. Um, so I, I have a list of, of different uh, ideas, creative ideas for uh, busy homes, and uh, let me... Uh, let me skip the first one, and I'm just going to read a few of these to you. So I'm looking at page three, and uh, night maneuvers. I'll <clears throat> probably hear the second paragraph is more important than the first, but I'll read them both. My boys and girls have always loved to go on night walks. Nights are full of the majesty of God, the stars, the moon, the song of the crickets, and the cry of the owl. They call us forth in worship of the greatness of God. Many times our talks take on a depth of intimacy that they would never reach under the artificial light of the living room. The kitchen table is a great place to reason about God and his word, but the night is the place where we often whisper the secret thoughts of our hearts. The same can be said for sitting on the floor as your children lie in bed in the darkness of anticipated sleep. So this is perhaps after you've read and prayed and sung a song, but you're just sitting in the room there with your children, the lights are off. These moments are best for listening quietly to your children and guiding their thoughts to the Lord and the good news of the cross. The things that find no place of rest in our thoughts during the rush of the day come home to roost at night. And I th my experience was that this was a wonderful time of listening to your children. A lot of times children are playing, they, they're not going to talk about what's going on in their hearts. <laughs> and uh, they're eating and all this. But at night, they're between the sheets and they begin to think about things. Daddy, I feel bad. Well, why do you feel bad? I don't know. Well, did, did anything happen today? Well, I got angry with my sister. When I, and you find out there's, there's a feeling of guilt and there's a chance to lead them in confession. And uh, then sometimes they'll say things like this, and I know this is, sounds odd, but they'll say, um, you know, Daddy, sometimes I get mad, and I say, dumb God, why did he do, you know, let this happen or something? And it, there's a time then that you can bring the truth of God, the promises of God, the gospel of God to bear on those things. So it's a great time for listening to your children and then responding. Um, the next one I call Dancing for Jesus. Um, 
When our children were little, our family devotions often resembled the ballet or the ballroom more than the sanctuary. We would sing and sing and sing, and the little ones would march or glide or twirl, all the while gasping out the verses to a familiar chorus. Let's sit down for this one, Mom would say as we would wind down for bedtime. Bible stories, miniaturized to three-year-old lengths and levels, are told with gusto and solemnness. God is speaking. He uses Daddy's voice. He speaks to little hearts with fixed eyes and yawning mouths. Prayers and kisses, one more goodnight hug, and then more kisses fill the home with the unconditional love of husband, wife, father, mother, child, parent, brother, sister, and God to man. On Saturday mornings for many years, the girls and mom and dad would dance to the music of Keith Green. Now, I have to say that my boys were at an age when we did this uh, that they just felt a little too old, you know. They, they were not going to take part in this, but the rhythms and the words of you put this love in my heart kept us on our feet until parents collapsed breathlessly to the sofa, leaving the smaller humans tugging at our arms and feet for more. Joyful music and joyful parents can go a long way in communicating the genuine joy and gratitude we have for the goodness of God in Christ. Don't be afraid to rejoice. And then uh, let me take this. Uh, some of these are so helpful. I, I believe they're very helpful. Um, let me, let's look at the next one, missionaries and meals. Our refrigerator is littered with the pictures of dozens of brothers and sisters in Christ, families in faraway places spreading the gospel. The collage of gospelers is my wife's doing. It's not just a fridge door to her. It's an altar of intercession, a place of prayer. The eyes of the smiling families call out to us in the words of Paul. I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. And we pray, and though far away, yet we meet around a common mercy seat. When letters arrive from these precious families, we often read them at supper time after the meal is ended. We take note of their needs. Marianne prays for the mother and wife. The children are assigned the names of brothers and sisters, and I pray for the father and husband. It's a serious time of prayer that sometimes causes mom to pause to, in her request to wipe away the tears and often leads to questions afterward about enlisting in the cause of Christ, about discipleship, about giving all. Their questions cause us to wonder about the future. And I'll, I'll stop there. But um, this is a way that you, you bring the truth of gospel mission into your home. And so, you know, we've just had that little devotional time there at supper time. So maybe once a week we did that, where we would take a letter from a missionary and we would read and talk about those things. And then let's look at uh, one more here under a tasty meal. Everyone has to eat sometime, and mealtime is a tradition that belongs to the family. Eating together takes some effort in this day and time. And let me pause there for just a second. So. Let me fast forward to when our children were teens and they had part-time jobs. Now, this is a whole different ballgame, isn't it? Um, so we looked at our schedule. And so Monday and Thursday, everybody had to be at supper. It wasn't a work schedule. No work was scheduled for those. Those were days I set aside. 
those were family supper times, and we had devotions together as a family on those days. Uh, we still prayed with at, at night before people went to sleep, that kind of thing. But as your children are growing older and schedules are doing this, you know, um, it's a little more difficult. And so you have to choose some specific times that you say, okay, we're all going to get together here. And we want you to make that a priority. And our experience was that um, in the later years, we had such great conversations. Our, we didn't have to beg our children to talk about God. They had questions. They, they wanted to uh, talk to us about different things that were going on. And I was always amazed at how our time in the Word had transformed into this adult conversation uh, about uh, the Lord and praying about different <clears throat> things. So let me come back to eating together. Um, the nutrition of one another's company is true health food. It is also an occasion for fathers to shepherd the little flock. Our former youth pastor, Ricky Alds, remembers growing up with the routine of a verse spoken in family chorus, so they would say a verse together as a family. And you could do that even with an open Bible. So in you know, mealtime, you could say, I'll, I'll read a line and you repeat the line and then maybe try to memorize it together. So they would speak a verse in, in family chorus, a song sung by the choir of family voices, and then a prayer followed by mom's cooking. Like rivers that smooth and shape stone, the effects of this kind of continual spiritual care shapes the character of children and adults. Now, I won't read any more, but let me just mention that on page five at the bottom, I have a list of common obstacles to family worship. And uh, I, I, without reading these, uh, one is a, a late start. You've not been doing it. Now you're going to have to adjust your family to this. Uh, an unsupportive wife, a lazy father, a resistant audience, an uncooperative schedule. Uh, and the last one I just want to point out, you can read it on your own, but it talks about the danger of technology. Now, technology can be a friend to family worship. Um, if you are not musical, you can play some songs to sing together. And that's so readily available. But I ask um, our associate pastor to write a paragraph about technology. He has little children, three little children, an infant, and a five-year-old, six-year-old, and a uh, three-year-old. And, uh, and so he wrote this paragraph for me. <clears throat> but there is significant danger to, uh, with regard to technology. People are so tied to their phones. Uh, televisions and, and computers are just going all the time. People bring those things to the table. And that often distracts from the relationships that we can have with one another. And so you'll want to take notice of that. Now let me pause there and see if you have any questions. We have a few minutes, so does anyone have any questions about specific challenges, perhaps, to family devotions, family worship? Well, I'll, I'll, I can ask you a question, unless you have one. 
um, what would you say is the the biggest obstacle or challenge in your home to being able to do family worship? So maybe someone would want to answer that. What would be the biggest obstacle? I'll say for us, we have a five-year-old and a one-year-old, and um, our one-year—they're both girls, but our one-year-old is very wild and rambunctious. As we feel like she's our boy, um, so. Every night, our family devotion ends up with him carrying her out of the room because she's just all over the place. And then my oldest, she can't focus. She's trying to wrangle her sister and take over and discipline her on her own, you know. And so it always ends up this big, like, explosion. So um, we, we always end up separated, like two and two. Yes. Well, I guess uh, what I would say is, first of all, you are in a transition, so this is this is going to change. Um, and then, then secondly, um, in the first part of your devotional time, where you might be singing songs, um, you know, as I, I mentioned, you know, I would uh, I would sing songs that uh, the the children can march to, and you can hold your one year old and march around. You clap clap her hands, you know. You're clapping your hands together, so you're doing stuff that she she can actually you know get into to some degree. And yes, she she's going to be crawling around and getting into things. Just don't let it bother you too much. Um, pick her up as you as need be, and um, you know do what you need to do with her. And even um, even as you're perhaps uh, telling the story or quoting a verse or or praying a prayer, just holding her and and doing that. And, and I know that's uh, that has its own difficulties. Um, but brevity also would be a key. So keeping it kind of brief and then um, doing a little more separately with uh, your older daughter, um, you know, I think would be key. So perhaps uh, when you uh, uh, have put one down and you have a little more time with your five-year-old or if uh, one of you is holding the other one and, you know, I, th I think that, you know, God gave us two parents we used to say, where are those substitute parents? <laughs> because we'd be so exhausted. I'm sure that's the way it is for you guys too. You know, you just want someone to come and step in, but um, working, working at it is more important than letting it defeat you. So, you know, even what you're doing right now is not bad. Thank you for sharing that. Anyone else? Yes. The key on our part, and I empathize with you guys. Uh, you know, our children are raised now. We're we're here for the sole purpose of gleaning and being able to share with younger families. But the key to our part was consistency. Uh, sometimes it was a it was a struggle to stay consistent with it. Uh, but uh, you know, through a lot of prayer, and it, we were able to do that. And uh, you know, sometimes you just want to throw your hands in there and say, "Oh, man!" But uh, that's when you, as a husband and wife together, need to yourselves have a little devotion and prayer time with yourselves and say, "Hey, this is a struggle here," and you know, 
uh, and ask God just to help you get through this. Just yes. give you the strength for it. After your children get used to doing this, they'll be expecting it. And, uh, and that does make it easier once it's become a family habit. We, we had one time with uh, our daughter, she's here with us too, uh, and she's raising three of her own now. And she uh, had, a, she was disobeying. And uh, you know, my wife and I, we prayed about it, and uh, you know, the thing that came to our thing was the story of Jonah. And uh, it was just, you know, she's not the age where we could have a little time with it, you know, with her and her brother. Uh, you know, then we sat there in the their little their bedroom.